0: to talk to you about finishing grace everybody say finishing grace because once you make the decision once you step out into the thing that God is calling you to do or the opportunity that life has thrown you once you step out into that thing and you decide all right this is what I'm going to do the next step is managing and finishing that decision so we want the grace to finish I want to start by talking about grace. The grace of God has two biblical uses. That means two separate definitions depending on what it's talking about, and I want to share those with you. Number one, grace means unmerited favor. You can see it there on the screens. Unmerited favor, that's what the Bible talks when it talks about the grace of God for salvation. Salvation is unmerited favor or undeserved favor, meaning you didn't do anything to earn it. You didn't do anything to work for it. God just granted it to you by grace, that is, unmerited favor. You didn't deserve to be saved. You didn't deserve to be forgiven of your laundry list of sins. You didn't deserve the blessings and the kindness that God has given you. It was grace, unmerited favor. Then the second term that grace is used for is divine enablement. Everybody say divine enablement. This is when heaven empowers you to do something on earth that you could not have done without heaven's help. That's good. Divine enablement. It's when heaven empowers you to do something on earth that you would not have been able to do without heaven's help. So when David killed Goliath with a slingshot, he was doing it on earth but he was being helped by heaven, divine enablement, that was grace. When Samson tore the gates off of Gaza's city walls and threw them at his enemies, that was divine enablement. God graced him to be able to do that. You understand what I'm saying? When Peter walked on the water, that was a divine enablement from heaven, allowing him to do something on earth that he would not have been able to do without heaven's help. So. Let's look at it in terms of salvation. The grace of God that saves you is unmerited favor. But the grace of God that empowers you to live the Christian life and obey the word of the Lord and follow out your faith, that is divine enablement. One grace, two purposes. So as a Christian, you never grow out of the need for grace. I'm gonna say that again, I want it to sink. As a Christian, you never grow out of the need of God's grace. It takes God's grace to save you, unmerited favor. And it takes God's grace to keep you saved, divine enablement. And this is true for your salvation, it's true for your spiritual life, but it's also true concerning your practical lives. We're in the second half of the year, and many of you have started a process this year, either in your education goals or... Relationship goals or business goals or health goals. And there are few things as defeating, as starting a bunch of stuff and not being able to finish. Look at somebody and say, finish it. Look at somebody else and say, finish it. Go to Luke 14, 25 through 27. Finish it. God wants you to finish it. God will empower you to finish it. Finish it. Luke 14, 25 through 27. I hope y'all got it up there. There we go. It says, And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, next verse, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Somebody say yikes. Next verse. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Jesus is teaching to start something with the end in mind. He's saying don't Don't come and start following me when I'm multiplying bread and fish, opening up blinded eyes, turning water into wine, raising Lazarus from the dead. Don't start following me with that as the only thing in your eye. Because not only do I have all of that, I got a cross coming. I got a burden coming. I got some difficult things coming. In other words, don't start with me without considering the end. Now, this is applicable to us because he's going to talk about the practical in a minute. But before he talks about the practical, he talks about our relationship with him. You and me, our relationship with Jesus. And he wants us to consider the end of our Christian walk. While we're living in the beginning or the middle of it. Now, the end of your Christian walk, what is it? It's not just when you die and we bury you. The end of your Christian walk is when you stand in heaven and face judgment and give an account for what you did in this life. See, this life isn't over when you cease to exist here, because to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. The last business you'll handle concerning this life is when you give an account for What did you do with the grace that God gave you? What did you do with the love and the forgiveness that he gave you? How did you live? How did you walk? How did you operate? What did you do with it? And Jesus says, if you're going to follow me now, follow me now with the end in mind. And so many of us don't don't do that. We don't live like that. There's an old, not an old, but there's a country song that says, live like you were dying. It's a good message. Because every single one of us, you may not have thought about it yet today, but as sure as you were born, you will die. And after you die, you will stand before God. Are you living in your relationship with the real Jesus? Are you living in the light of that in your mind? That's what Jesus is teaching here. And when he brings up, unless you hate your mother and hate your father and hate your wife and your kids and hate everything else, even your own self, You cannot be my disciple. Don't get caught up on the word hate. In the Greek there, it means to love less. He's talking about priorities. And he's saying, I am not interested in having a relationship with you where I am not Lord. What he's teaching is the principle of his Lordship. See, most people don't want a God. They want a genie. but God's not offering that. He is either Lord of your life, Lord means ruler, master, controller. He's either Lord over your will, he's either Lord over you or he is not. And Jesus is saying, you gotta live with that in mind. That when there is a competing issue between wills, when his will violates your will, it means his will has to win every time or he is not Lord. And he's saying, don't put your earthly relationships, parents, brothers and sisters, uh, wife, husband, children, don't put your earthly relationships on the throne of your life. And it's a good principle too, because some of us have lived long enough to learn that family members make terrible gods. That's all I'll say about that. In other words, don't allow your heart to be enthroned with anything but Christ. Because if you do, the enemy will use what your heart is in to attack you. He'll use what your heart is all tied up in to bring you all the way down and make you feel hopeless. But if you refuse to do that and you let Christ sit on the throne, you have something on the inside that the enemy can never touch, that the enemy can never steal, that the enemy can never take. You're unshakable if you're rooted in him. Go to verse 28 of that same chapter. Now Jesus is gonna move to the practical. First he dealt with the spiritual, now he's dealing with the practical. For which of you intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost whether he have enough to finish it. Everybody say, finish it. If you begin without counting the cost of finishing, then your building will be in vain. And I think that's what a lot of us want to avoid. Those of you, so many of you have testified to me that you started your own business this year. That is amazing. So many have have told me that you started the process of getting a home. That is amazing. So many are investing in real estate, buying up some properties and different things like that. That is amazing. But be careful that you don't begin without first calculating the cost to finish it because you don't want to build in vain. You don't want to spend the time, the energy, the resources, the money investing years into something that you haven't calculated what's this thing going to cost. If you don't know what it's going to cost, you don't even have anything to direct your faith towards. I'm going to say that again. If you don't know what it's going to cost, you don't even have anything to direct your faith towards. So sometimes it's not just a matter of praying. Sometimes after you pray, you need to get up, go sit at the kitchen table, get out a pen and a piece of paper and, you, and your calculator and calculate what the thing is going to cost you before you jump headlong into it. And I got, I got three steps for you. This is for people who have had the faith here lately to bite off something that's a little bigger than you. Okay? To step out into something that's scary. To try something that you don't necessarily have all of the wherewithal to handle right now. And God's been giving this to me. He's been talking to me about this for you. And I want to give it to you. Are you ready for it? Number one, three steps to finish. Number one, finish in phases. When you're dealing with something big, finish it in phases. In the book of Genesis, the scriptures record that God created the earth in five phases. The earth, as big of a project as that was, as mountainous of an endeavor as God was taking on, he finished it in five phases. God is setting an example for us here that anytime you're creating something, whether you're creating dynamics in a family, whether you're aiming towards building a home or, or purchasing a home, whether you're building a business, whatever it is that you're taking on in your life, you have to finish it in phases. If you're aiming to get out of debt, you're going to do it in phases, okay? Finish in phases. And notice, if you'll read the book of Genesis on your own time, I don't want to go through each, each text of it here, but if you'll notice in the book of Genesis, after each phase when God created something, he stopped. He stopped. He paused, and he said, that's good. Look at somebody and smile at him and say, that's good. That's good. Look at somebody else say, that's good. that's good. Now, he stopped and he celebrated. He stopped and he said, mm, that's good. After each phase that he created, even though the rest of the creation wasn't finished, he stopped and celebrated. After each small phase, he would complete, he completed the light, both the sun and the moon and the stars. And he stopped and he said, Ooh, that's good. Now at this point, the scripture says the earth was without form and void. It was chaotic. It was just a muddy mess. So all the light did was shine up And reveal how muddy and messy it was and yet even though it was still a mess and even though it still wasn't perfect and even though all the light did was reveal the chaos he ignored all the rest of it and looked at the light and said this ain't finished that ain't finished this ain't finished but that light that's good he celebrated what was working and finished the phase And some of you would be better at finishing in phases, but you are surrounded by people who constantly draw attention to and acknowledge what you are not rather than celebrating what you are. So you can make some good progressive steps but you don't feel like you've gotten anywhere because if you take two steps forward, everybody around you just reminds you you got 49 steps left to go. You're not celebrating. And when you celebrate each phase, it releases your mind to move on to the next. Celebrating each phase as you complete it releases spiritual endorphins that give you creative energy you need for the next task at hand. But when you finish a phase without celebrating, then you step into the next phase, tired, burnout, drained, and you feel like the next one is bigger than you and you can't do it because you didn't get what you needed out of the last one. Yeah, you finished, but you don't feel like you did. Yeah, you accomplished, but you don't feel like you did. Because not only did nobody around you celebrate, you didn't even celebrate yourself. And what I love about God in the book of Genesis, he had a whole choir of angels there. But when he spoke that light into being and that light was good, none of the angels started saying, Yay, God, that's some awesome light. Nobody spoke up and said, wow, that is amazing. So in the absence of a voice to celebrate what he was doing, God just stood back and celebrated himself. And I wanna tell you this celebration thing is so key and it's so crucial that if no one else celebrates your progress towards your goals or your dreams or your business or your finances, if nobody around you claps for you, you gotta learn how to go into the bathroom, turn the light on, shut the door and clap for yourself and say, I made it. They may not be impressed with it, but I'm sure impressed with it myself. If you're flexible enough, slap yourself on the back and say, at a boy, at a girl, you did a great job with that today because the celebration is gonna release something that you desperately need in order to move forward. And I sense in my spirit that there are many that you're just hanging on by a thread as it pertains to your energy and your creativity and your passion and your zeal. And the reason why you are running so low is you've not been celebrated either by people or yourself. All your family does is complains to you. All your coworkers do is complain to you. All the people around you do is complain. And when you complain, it's a drain every time. When you allow your ears to be complained in, it's a drain every time. And I want to tell you, you're losing your life force. You're losing the fire in your eyes. You're losing the part of you that makes you special. You're losing the part of you that makes you you because you are not taking time to celebrate the completion of little phases. Now, I wish your spouse would get this. I wish your kids would get this. I wish your co-workers would get this. But if they don't get it, if they're not mature enough to see it, for God's sake, make yourself a reservation at a restaurant. Take yourself to the place. Set your own chair out. Sit down. Buy yourself a steak dinner. Make them bring you a dessert with a candle on it and blow that sucker out and celebrate what you have accomplished you got to celebrate it. Push somebody and say, celebrate it. Push somebody else, say, celebrate it. Now, not only ha- do you need to celebrate what you've done, come on, you ain't done nothing. Why, would, why do we allow ourselves to, why do we let people talk to us like we ain't nothing? I'm all for advice. I'm all for constructive criticism. But don't stand in front of me. Look down at me and talk to me like I'm nothing. But you let it happen long enough, you'll start to feel with your accomplished self, with as much as you've done, with as much as you have survived. I don't care the way the world is now, you're amazing and strong for simply surviving the day. If you can get up in the morning, go to work and make it home and find yourself in your bed safely, you have done something that not a lot of other people have been able to do. You don't let them talk to you like you're nothing? No. No, you let that happen because you haven't celebrated. I hate to tell you this, I hate to tell you this, most of the celebration that's gonna have to happen is gonna have to happen with a party consisting of you, yourself, and yourself. Because this isn't native to people today. If they won't celebrate themselves, if your wife won't celebrate herself, if she's walking around miserable all the time complaining about herself, you think you're going to get any celebration? If your husband's miserable with his self, you think you're going to get any appreciation? And that's the state we're living in, in the most prosperous nation in the world, in the history of the world with opportunities brimming everywhere, with encouragement and the word of the Lord flowing through all of our phones if we wanted it. We have become the most unhappy, skeptical, downtrodden, depressed, narcissistic people on the face of the earth. And we're not celebrating. Maybe you're so down this morning because you're not celebrating. When is the last time, think with me, when is the last time you threw yourself a party? Why are you laughing at me? It sounds, what I'm saying sounds crazy, doesn't it? But if you're not doing it, I'm not saying you're not accomplishing. I'm saying you're accomplishing and leaving the battlefield drained and not refilling for the next one. And now you feel like nothing you're doing is working. You feel like a failure. You feel like what everybody else is saying is true. And it's not, it's a lie. The problem is, God said the problem is, you didn't follow my model. You didn't celebrate the phase you completed. If you're on a weight loss journey and phase one is five pounds, you better lose your mind when you hit that sit there and laugh at me if you want to. I said you better lose your mind. Now I'm not saying you gotta lose your mind with food, but you gotta lose your mind with something. You gotta put a party hat on, put some streamers, make a big banner, I lost five pounds, yes I did. If not, the journey into the next five will be double tough double difficult. You won't feel any energy. You won't feel any creativity. You won't feel any motivation because you left all your motivation at the celebration that didn't happen. You got to celebrate. Secondly, you got to celebrate God. Okay. Not only do you have to celebrate and clap for yourself, you got to celebrate and honor God for little blessings. Little miracles. Stuff that don't mean nothing to nobody else, but something that he did for you. Yeah. Yeah. I had me a praise party because my little boy hadn't been able to go to the bathroom standing up. Don't you laugh at my son. He's had some things to overcome. But he's starting kindergarten this year and we wanted him to be able to go to the bathroom, standing up. So that it's not a problem with everyone else in the class that he has to sit down every time he goes to the bathroom and he can't use a urinal. So we put that on our prayer list and pray. God let our boy have the ability to go to the bathroom, standing up. And you know God did that for us. And you know I like to, <laughs> you know I like to lost my mind shouting and dancing and screaming and praising and giving and sowing and blessing other people just trying to say thanks to God for that gift it's a it's a little stupid thing to you not to me not not to me but my point is you got to celebrate little things Little things in your prayer life that God has done. Little things in your life that has advanced you and pushed you over the edge. If you don't, you will say things like, God's forgotten about me. And I'm saying it because he's been hearing you say it. God's not helping me. God's not blessing me. God's not advancing me. No, he is. You may not have everything you want, but have your needs not been met? Do you have a roof over your head? Have you been eating okay? Are your knees working? Can you see me this morning? Can you hear me this morning? God's been good to you. If any or all of that is working, you ought to stop and say, God, I thank you for what is working. Yes, I got a lot of chaos and mess and ugly stuff and stuff that's not working, but thank you for what is celebrating so you got to celebrate you you got to celebrate god and then thirdly you got to celebrate your loved ones we got to get better at this we have got to get better at celebrating the people around us in our life sometimes sometimes the family doesn't have the breathe easy oxygen it needs because everybody's so focused on what's wrong and not what's right that you don't have any energy to work on what's, what's wrong by the time you end up listening to all of it. And so nothing that's going right is praised. Nothing that's going right is magnified. Only what's going wrong. All we talk about is what's going wrong, then eventually you can't even breathe in that house. If all we talk about is the debt and the payments and the problems and the kids and the problem with this and the problem with that and this and that and this and that, and there's never any celebration, it's like a long exhale and no inhale. And your relationship may be choking because it lacks the oxygen of celebration. And do you know that you celebrating your loved ones for what is right, it doesn't just give oxygen to them. Yeah. Wow. It gives oxygen, perspective, and strength yes. to you. Yes. So maybe, so maybe you might postpone the counseling session and try some genuine celebration. Can you try a big smile right now? Oh, some of you can't. Lord Jesus, I thank God I ain't going home with you. Can you try a big smile right now? I mean, can you just try it? Can you just try it on and see how it feels? Can you just smile real big? Oh, God, some of you are scaring me. Can you just try it, please, everyone in the auditorium? Can you please just try to smile? What you just did right there, you could, you could change an hour of the atmosphere in your house. I'm going to get off of that. I'm going to get off of that. Finish in phases and celebrate each phase. Do you know that God didn't only start in phases and finish in phases with the earth? He started in phases and has been finishing in phases with you. You are not where you were in your faith five years ago. You did not have the same level of knowledge, the same level of revelation, the same level of faithfulness, the same level of strength spiritually that you had five years ago. Why? Because God's been completing his work with you in phases. The scripture says, speaking of Jesus, he that began a good work in you shall Performant. that word performance is phase work he's finishing you in phases that means next year this time you're gonna be stronger you're gonna be better you're gonna have more faith you're gonna have more gifts than you had this year this time because your life is a work in progress from a God that finishes in phases he finishes in phases we have to follow his example and we have to finish in phases Point number two, finish your course. Finish your course. Point number two, finish your course. Now, when I sent it to him, I underlined it. Uh, Draw imaginary underline under your. Your specific destiny and responsibility of purpose is like your thumbprint. It's unique to you and you only. And the only course that you're supposed to be finishing, the only race that you're supposed to be running is your unique course and your unique race. In 2 Timothy 4 and 7, Paul told Timothy, I finished my course. You can't finish another person's course. I'm going to say it on this side. You can't complete another person's course. So comparing yourself to them is an exercise in futility. You can't run their race. You can't finish their course. You'll never do it. You'll never be able to do it. How silly would it be for me to measure my success based off of Lawrence's course? I'll tell you something about Lawrence. I've known a lot of musicians in my life. I personally feel that Lawrence is the most brilliant musician I've ever known. And a lot of times what you get here on Sundays during praise and worship is just really a fraction of what he can do. He can play any instrument. Even if he's never played it before, if you let him sit with it for about two or three hours, he could play it. Because the music is in him. One time I I wanted to show off to a preacher, so I put Lawrence in the back of the sanctuary and I went to the keyboard and I took as many fingers as I had and I slammed them down, just a bunch of keys. And Lawrence from left to right told me what keys had been pressed. Brilliant musician, incredible potential, incredible gifting that he holds, incredible. But if I compared my life and my course to him, I would never feel successful. Because I could practice all day, every day for the next 30 years of my life and I would never be able to do what he does because it's not my course. I wasn't designed to run that race. I wasn't designed to play the keyboard or to play the piano or to be musically inclined in the way that he is. So I would never feel like I was getting anywhere because I was on someone else's course. You can't run someone else's race. You can't run someone else's course. Ephesians 4 and 7. I love this verse. Ephesians 4 and 7. Ephesians 4 and 7. But unto every one of us. Say that with me. Every one of us. Say it again. Every one of us. But unto every one of us is given grace, watch, according to the measure of the gift. So I don't have the grace to run his course because I don't have the measure of the gift Jesus gave him. But if I will stay in my lane and run my race and stay on my course, then I have a grace that's been given to me according to the gift God gave me I want to tell you Jesus didn't save anybody that he didn't give a gift to Jesus didn't save anybody that he didn't give a destiny and a purpose and a destination to and all you have to do to receive the grace is run your race according to the gift that you have been given run in your lane according to the destiny that you have been called to but when you get out of your lane you get out of your grace that grace there, that divine enablement. When you step out of your lane, you have stepped out of your grace. So pray for the peace to run your course, to finish your course, to stay in your lane, to understand your calling and be happy with it. Even if you don't like it, you can be content with it. Even if it doesn't you know, fulfill you in all unique kind of ways, you can be content with it. You understand what I'm saying? You got to find out what you are and who you are in God and what gifts you have and then stay in your lane. Because it's painful when you get out of your lane. We've all listened to people before that are singing and they can't sing. And, and they're loving it and we're suffering it wasn't their course and it's funny when you're talking about singing. It's not funny when you're talking about investing everything you have into a business that's not your course or paying $200,000 for a college course that's not your course. You got to finish your course and I think if we were just, if, if we were not manipulated in any way, I think we would pretty much all be on it. I think what manipulates us is comparison to other people. Yes. Comparing ourselves to how they're doing or what they're doing or what they're accomplishing or how far along they were. And then we look at ourselves and we get beside ourselves because what difference does it make how fast you ran in your lane? Yeah. Your lane will never be. My lane. My lane will never be your lane. you got to finish your course. And this is true of personal things in your deep personal life. It's also, I found it really true in marriage. Do not compare your marriage. Because it's It's a marathon. You understand? It's a marathon. Hopefully it's a marathon. We don't want it to be a sprint. It's a marathon, okay? And you can get guidance from the Word of God and from Bible-based counseling and all that kind of thing, you can get guidance, but there's a difference in guidance and comparison when you get into comparison, you can actually be in a good situation for you and turn your good situation for you into a terrible situation because you compared what you had with someone else. You got to run your course. You got to run your course. One thing raising my boys has taught me, you got to let them run their course. I mean, every time we go to the doctor, they tell me how behind and how this and how that and what my son should be doing, age appropriate, all this kind of stuff. I mean, since since the first time we took him to the doctor, it's getting a lot better now, but still, negative, 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 negative. All based on comparison of what other people are doing. You understand what I'm saying? So it was for, for a couple of years, I was walking out of those things holding a miracle that should never walk, talk, be brain dead, be in, a, be in a vegetative, all this kind of stuff. I'm walking out with a miracle and I'm upset with God because he's not doing what they're comparing him with. And for years, I let that rob me of joy that I should have had. And if I was subjected to it, I bet you so are you. I bet you you're not walking in as much joy as you could have because the voice of other people's comparison about what your marriage should be or what your finances should be or what your situation should be or where you should be by now or what you should be doing by now, I bet you it's been robbing you of some of your peace and some of your joy and some of your energy. Resist that and finish your course. Finally, point number three. I hope you got something out of this because I'm done. Point number three grace is given based on demand. Oh, God, that's good. Woo, that's worth you driving here this morning for. Grace is given based on demand. Deuteronomy 33, 24. Deuteronomy 33, 24. And of Asher, he said, let Asher be blessed with children. Let him be acceptable to his brethren. Let him dip his foot in oil. Next verse. Thy shoes shall be iron and brass. And this is the final word of the prophecy. And as thy days, so shall thy strength be. I want to unpack that for you. As thy days, so shall thy strength be. In other words, God was saying to Asher, strength is going to be required of you in different levels on different days. Some days you're going to need this amount of strength. Some days you're going to need this amount. But what he was telling Asher was, whatever demands the day places on you, the supply of strength from heaven will supersede the demand that's being extracted from you. So when you get in situations where there is more demand than you have supply, that's your verse, that grace flows based off of the the demand that's placed on it, that grace is based on demand, that you will never run into a day while you're finishing your course, while you're building in phases, that you will never run into a day where you have more need than you have supply that heaven will ensure you never have more need than you have supply. Remember, grace comes in two definitions. Number one, unmerited favor, but number two, divine enablement. God is saying, even if I have to come down and get involved in it myself, I will make sure that you never have more need than you have supply because my grace is upon your life. Now, I need to quantify that Old Testament truth with a New Testament truth in order to give it legitimacy. So go to 2 Corinthians 12 and 9. 2 Corinthians 12 and 9. It's my second closing. I only have six more. 2 <laughs> Corinthians. And he said unto me, My grace, look at this, is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Number one, my grace. The grace there is divine enablement. In other words, what he's saying is, Paul, you will never run into a situation where you have more need than you have supply because my grace will always be sufficient. When you are insufficient, when your funds are insufficient, when your health is insufficient, when your strength and your energy and your passion is insufficient. He said, my grace, my divine enablement, my ability to get involved from heaven and cause heaven to move it on earth. It's sufficient for you. And then he says, and my strength is made perfect in weakness. In other words, he's given us a clue here. God's dropping a bomb on us. He's saying the truth of the matter is I'm attracted to the weak oh God I, I, I'm, I'm drawn to the weak and to the broken because honestly I look better spending my strength On somebody that's out of strength. My strength is perfected. It's made perfect. It looks stronger. It's able to really show what it is when I find somebody that is out of strength and I give them my strength to make it through what they're going through. That's how my strength is made perfect in weakness. So if you're weak today, if you're drained today, you hadn't been celebrated and everybody else has been complaining and draining you. Or if you've been comparing yourself with others and not running your course, this third step is for you. Grace is based on demand. In this service, you can receive the divine enablement, the grace, the strength from God that can be made perfect in your weakness so that you can continue to go out and build in phases and finish your course. If you agree with it, stand up to your feet and give the Lord a great hand of praise all over the auditorium.